You're listening to the North Peace Roundtable Podcast, your weekly podcast about theology and the Christian life. Episode 113. Wow. Wow. I looked it up, and thank you for tuning in to this historic episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you're new to the podcast, my name is Andrew, and with me as always is Corland. Hello, hello. And Cameron. Good morning, everyone. And we're going to do our best to fix the quiet audio. So sorry about that. Corlin texted me this week and was like, have you listened to the podcast? This is so quiet, <laughs> except for Cameron. Cameron's yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll sit further away from the mic. I'll try to put... No, we need your like booming, authoritative voice. <laughs> You're like the dad of this podcast. That's right. You Morgan are. Freeman. You're <laughs> Morgan Freeman. <laughs> and then we have Pee Wee Herman. I'm, po- <laughs> I, I'm pointing at Corlin. Um <laughs> Anyways, uh, we are ordering new podcast equipment. And we were a little rusty. We had the entire summer off. I know. It's true. I didn't know what buttons to push. And anyways, so hopefully this this week is a little bit louder. I'm wearing headphones so I can actually like hear what you hear while we record. So there we go. Uh, any uh, life updates from this week? I thought uh, I did have this thought of like, you know, when you talk about like, you know, what was... What was amazing this week? What happened? What's new? I'm going to start pe- asking people, like, any mediocre things happened to you this week? Like, because <laughs> <laughs> that's more, that's more common. Like, uh, that's true. We're painting our kitchen cabinets white. So that was my mediocre thing. Took them all off, sanded them, was spraying them last night. Wow. <laughs> so I have fun, a kind of a, <clears throat> that's interesting. I, I often ask the kids at night before bed, it's either, what are you thankful for from today? Or sometimes it'd be like, what made you smile today? And it causes them to stop and think for a moment and they usually come up with some pretty fun answers, but yeah, a way to reflect. But funny for my weekend, I was in Edmonton visiting family and I was walking with Sasha through a random mall and sure enough, uh, Carl is standing there. Are you serious? <laughs> Carl, Carl Reimer. <laughs> so he's like, hey, uh, yeah, Leah's with a friend having dinner. So we chatted for a few moments and then... Two days later, in a different city in Alberta, I'm walking through a mall waiting for my wife again with Sasha and Carl and Leah. No <laughs> way! Are you following me? That's, that's exactly what uh, Leah said. Like, we're not we're not following you. <laughs> that's better than mediocre. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty funny. So. Did I tell you guys about going to the airport and seeing the kid from my youth group when I was a youth pastor? No. Okay, so that happened. So like the, abort, the gate agent? or No, so <laughs> I was going, I dropped, uh, dro- we dropped off my dad at the airport. And then as I'm, the, the girls were like, like this airport here in town? Yeah, in Fort St. John. Oh. So, and the girls are like, can we wait till he goes through security and wave? I'm like, sure. So I'm waiting. And then a a tall guy walks by and we kind of looked at each other and I went, man, oh man, that looks like Joey from when I was a youth pastor. Jeez. Same, like, I, uh, he's friends with me on Facebook. So he has the, this like curled up hipster mustache and very tall. But he just kind of walks by, and then he's going to the bathroom. Like, there's no way. Why on earth would he be in Fort St. John? So, so he then, followed this young man. Yeah, into the bath- walked into the bathroom. <laughs> Joey. <laughs> no. Sam! So we then left, and I'm walking out the doors, and then same guy is walking by, and he looks at me again, and I'm like, Joey. <laughs> he's like, Pastor Andrew. Oh, uh, <laughs> he works at Site C now. Oh, random. So I have not seen him for like ten years, and Jeez. he was a kid and my youth group when i was a youth pastor so i'm like what on earth so anyways that was a funny like those are always weird like there's no way why are you here (laughs) how about you corlin your baby uh sleeping through the night 
Actually, my baby's sleeping through the night really, really well. Are you serious? Yeah. You know, white noise and honestly, wouldn't sleep well through the night until we changed the, the blanket out in his little bassinet for something a little bit a little bit softer, a little bit like retains the heat better. Yeah, I'm on like a potato sack or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we, we replaced the gunny burl- sack. <laughs> burlap. <laughs> Why isn't he sleeping? <laughs> this darn kid's fussy. Uh, but yeah, he's sleeping really well. We went to Tumblr Ridge and we blew a tire out in oh, Tumblr Ridge. Things. And like, I, I lost my hat. That's kind of disappointing. I was, oh, right. You said <laughs> mediocre, not sad or hard things. But anyways, blew a tire and we stopped to change the tire in like the one gap where there was cell service. Yep. Changed the tire. Our spare tire was flat. <laughs> oh, so then luckily Aaron had this little thing called a, a, like a really corny Walmart looking thing where it's like just in case. And it's just this little like plug into your cigarette lighter socket and pump up your tire and it actually worked. Oh, nice. So we pumped up our spare tire, made it back to town. Uh, but yeah, we, that's what happened this week for me. That was mediocre at best. Love it. So yeah, I'm going to start asking that every week because instead of like waiting for huge, what's mediocre in your life. Yeah. What happened this week? Yeah. What's I, hardly uh, interesting. Yeah. I, wa- <laughs> I, uh, I walked the dog today. Oh, cool. Whoa. <laughs> uh, anyways, we have a topic, uh, for this morning. Maybe I'll, uh, read how cam worded it or do you do do you just want to introduce the topic sure um yeah i can do that okay so it's been something that we have touched on in the past and something that we've all experienced in different ways and something i think that is gaining some momentum in the church is this idea not like a a new momentum but this idea of a, a accountability christian accountability um in relationship or 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 not where I've been a part of conversations where someone said, how do I engage with this individual? How do I approach the subject of sin in their life that's evident or that I know about? You know, what will their what will the reception be? Do I have that position with them? And then, so that's kind of that idea of how do I, if I'm in a budding relationship or a new friendship with someone where I, where I've, where I see or where I sense uh, an area that we should discuss if we're going to be in relationship. And then on the other side, you know, maybe you're in a situation where someone has revealed sin to you and and then not even necessarily asked you for accountability, but now it's just like dropped on your lap. Maybe you've been friends for a while or you met in church and then over coffee, they've said, Oh, by the way, I struggle in this massive way. How do you stick handle that then? And then if they ask you like, Hey, would you mind walking along uh, this with me? What does it mean? And and what are we in for? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Like, um, as Christians, how do we, or should we, or do we, you know, call out sin in each other's lives? Is that only certain people, like, how to best do that? Um, I think, uh, even I wrote down a few passages that we can look at that, um, of what it could possibly look like. But I think usually there's, either we just kind of ignore it, right? Sin in people's lives. Cause it's just awkward. I think lots of Christians do that where it's like, I know that this is happening, but I don't know how to bring this up or if I should, or like, is this going to ruin our friendship? If I have to like Corlin, I know that you're stealing or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, or I think the flip side is we have people who are like, I am the morality police for everyone. And I might not even know you. And, uh, I've literally heard, there was a time a newer person came to our church 
And someone on that Sunday who maybe knew of them came up to them and basically said, like, I know your secret. And the person was like, I I don't even know your name. Yeah. And was just like, it, I felt like it was my responsibility. I knew that they had sin and I'm going to call it out. And I'm like, you don't even know their name? Yeah. So I think sometimes we fall into, like, the two extremes. I don't know. Would you agree with that? It's either like, I'm going to ignore it because, yep. or I'm going to, like, hammer you. Yeah. So I don't know, like... Or, or for those who, you know, I've heard the, the argument from the hammer side and I've seen it encouraged in others. And I always wrestled with that afterwards thinking like, well, where's the relationship in that? And, and, and like you mentioned, like, is there a place or, or what is the place? So I think, um, where, where folks can get a little misguided is that idea. Yeah. I'm going to be the morality police and every human being I see in the, in the building of church, I'm going to like point out yep. the, uh, the specks in their eye and, and, and they feel completely justified in that because scripture said, you know, like flee from sin, run from it, like mm-hmm. tear it out um, of your house. But I think that so much is missed in that idea of like, well, well, wait a minute. Like, yeah, like this individual, you don't even know my name. Like that is actually a very, sad yeah i I think i think my first the first question that comes to mind is like what do people mean when they think accountability Hmm. um because if all we mean by account like keeping people accountable is calling out sin Hmm. it's no wonder then that people feel that they can do that really easily and it's their responsibility because i mean not that it wouldn't be awkward for some people but at the end of the day to just point across the room and say hey stop sinning pretty easy (laughs) Uh, it is pretty easy yeah. to do that, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, we all struggle with sin w- within the church. And so to to just point across the room and say, you sin and you sin and you sin. Well, yeah, like yeah. you're not actually exposing anything new. This is this is what it is to be a Christian is to yeah. walk and learn about Yahweh and, and learn to follow him and sin less. Yeah. But what is accountability, right? Is it just calling out sin or is it actually building relationship with people where you can then Mm. walk with them through that? Does it mean that you have to be accountability partners, so to speak with everyone who exposes sin to you, right? Like where, what is accountability within the church, I guess is what I'm asking you guys. Yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's easy or for some people it's easy to just kind of, Hey, I exposed you. And now I uh, now I know that you sinned and I told you about it, but it's a lot harder to then... Now go and sin no more. Yeah, to like walk with someone. And I'm actually going to help you uh, put this sin to death, knowing I know that it's the Holy Spirit, and but you know what I mean. I'm going to actually walk with you and we're going to like do this together and you can reach out to me. And I think uh, lots of people don't do that because it's really hard. We've all probably been in those types of relationships where you're walking with someone who has... Um, sin in their life and it's a lot harder when it's like a habitual sin and maybe we'll get into that like how do you do that but it's it is easy to say like hey I'm just confronting you on your sin okay I'm gonna leave now it's a lot harder to be like now I'm gonna actually like not not gonna lie it kind of reminds me of keyboard warriors like see something on Facebook and they're like this is wrong <laughs> it's like well it's pretty easy to so send that I'll, I'll read a couple passages that talk about how we're supposed to do this or some like advice. So Galatians six, one and two, it says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. 
bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Um, so there's a few things in there. Like we're supposed to do it gently, not on a Sunday morning. I know your secret. That's not yeah. with gentleness. You don't even know the person. And then it, there's this like, you know, keep watch on yourself and then uh, bear one another's burdens, meaning, okay, you're struggling with this thing. I'm going to actually like, I'm going to take it on. Like it's this picture of like, I'm now bearing that with you. I'm going to shoulder it with you and help you in that. Um, James five says a similar thing. It says, my brother, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him who, let him know that whoever brings him back from a sinner from a, blech. let me start that again. <coughs> my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sin sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So it's that idea, I, that idea of like the goal is to bring someone back, not just like, hey, I hammered you with truth mm -hmm. and I, you know, beat your head in because you're bad. The idea is like, man, they're wandering away from the truth. I need to like chase after them because I love them. But the goal is I want to like bring you back to save yeah. your, I want to be a part of like saving your soul. I'm worried about your soul. And that's a really interesting like that's that's the motivation behind some of the i think poor delivery is that we've focused so much on <clears throat> that idea of you know this is an eternal life and death situation your soul needs to be saved and so it almost doesn't matter what i do to you emotionally or relationally or physically as long as at the end of the day i can say you know i've attempted to chase after your soul i wonder if you know, we put ourselves in the, in the, in the place of the Holy Spirit as far as sure. the conviction and, you know, the, uh, the, the metaphor of the good shepherd leaving the flock to get the one we almost transpose ourselves into that position where I'm going to chase down. Cause I think that while that undergirded motivation seems very pure, the delivery can actually just destroy a relationship and actually not f allow someone to feel welcomed back into a flock and they shouldn't feel comfortable in the flock if they're dealing with sin, but I feel like they should always sense a, a welcome back sure. to the flock. And so that's a really hard tension to navigate, especially if the person that you confront, even in relationship or, or quasi-friendship, says, you know, I'm not interested. Like, what if they're ignoring yeah. sin that's evident? Do you then cast them out and, and, and cross them off? I fear that's kind of easier and, and then maybe even the tendency is just to say, well, I tried and so I'm not hmm. going to pursue that anymore. Hmm. Yeah. I think accountability is more about knowing more than it is about knowing about sin. Um, and so what I mean by that is like it, if we look at God and what he's done for us, he is going to hold us accountable for everything that we've done. He, he knows everything that we've done and yet he allows us to know him and to be known by him in such an intimate way, even though he's completely holy and completely other. And so I think if we're to model what God has done, it is knowing people, walking with people. I even think of the story of uh, like Hagar was, uh, she was the Egyptian slave that Abraham and Sarah uh, used to try and produce their seed or, or the, keep their line going. Uh, and so she was sinned against and she was running away. And what did God do? He didn't like spite her for leaving her, her masters. He didn't like strike her down because she was a part of this sinful plot. He met her where she was at and said like, where, 
I, I believe the question was, where are you going to? Where, where do you come from? One of those, one of those two. I think it's, where do you come from? Uh, in essence, where do you go? <coughs> that song? No. Nice try. I actually <laughs> thought of that, uh, casting crowns, Jesus friend of sinners more yep. so. And I think that the church today is really afraid of being a friend of sinners. Really uncomfortable with the idea of relationship with someone in active sin. And not saying that I am because I, th- I feel like <clears throat> I feel like that is almost like this emission that you're not evangelical in every aspect of every relationship. But I anyone in, in, in any work setting, you're likely friends of sinners. You're likely in relationship with people who are committing atrocities against their family and uh, against the holy god but what is the difference then uh could it be that those who profess christ you're on a different level with and and is that then um that open door for that accountability and it could be if you're if you Mm -hmm. um are in a friendship or relationship with someone and we've said before on the podcast that if any one of us were to be cruel to our wives at home group in front of the others, the others would probably say like, you know, everything okay. Like there'd probably be some invitation for accountability. Yeah. But the foundation would be then relationship. And so maybe no relationship, no accountability in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's so many layers. Cause is there a difference between, so the three of us are close. We're friends. Um, and we sin. I think there's an expectation of just the reality that Christians will sin. And it's not an excuse to say like, you know, what Paul said, oh, well, I guess we'll just keep sinning so that grace keeps it. No, not like that. Yeah. But until Jesus returns, we're, we're just battling this sinful nature. And so we sin, right? So, you know, I, I lied about this and maybe Cam hears about it. And then because he's my friend, maybe he'll, I don't know, lovingly confront me. But then is there a difference then how do we walk with people who are just like unrepentantly, I just don't care. And I call myself a Christian and I'm just going to like, I, I think there could be a slight difference because even in like first Corinthians five, Paul says to this church, okay, there's a guy in your church who's sleeping with his stepmother and none of you care about it. And his, his recommendation is actually throw that guy out of your church. Not like walk alongside him. Yeah. Paul, in that case, and that's kind of, I don't know, that seems like a, to me, that kind of sin of I'm attending church, I'm sleeping with my stepmother, and I just don't care. And people know about it. And nobody cares. That seems different than, hey, this week, uh, like I yelled at my wife, and I got really mad, and I think I sinned against her, and I'm going to go. And like, so Cam saying, well, you need to go and. Yeah, make and, it like, right. and make it right with yeah. your wife. That's different to me because Paul doesn't seem to say in, in 1 Corinthians 5, okay, walk with this guy. His his walk with him is throw him out of the church until yeah. he repents. And if you don't know the context, it appears to work because in 2 Corinthians, yeah. Paul actually has to tell the church, okay, let him back you got to <laughs> let him back in. Like you're being, okay, you did what I asked you to do, but he's repentant. Yeah. So welcome him back. But even in 1 Corinthians 5, like he says, here's the type of people that, uh, he says, don't associate with anyone who bears the name of bro- brother if he's guilty of sexual morality, greed, idolatry, mm-hmm. and he's a reviler, drunkard, swindler. Don't even eat with someone like that. Now, Paul doesn't mean you you were one time envious. He's saying, it seems to me that he's saying Christians who then claim Christ and yet their pattern of life is 
I'm just going to go get drunk every weekend because I just don't care. Paul says, like, I actually don't associate with them. So what I'm getting at mm. is, like, how does that fit into our talk? Because, like, Corlin, if you – I'm just going to use you as, as an example. If you said, I claim, I'm claiming to be a follower of Jesus, and yet I'm going to go get drunk every other weekend. Yeah. Where's the line where you finally go, like, okay, Corlin, like – we actually have to, or, or not like, Mm -hmm. or does the church get involved? Is it above, is it, does that go beyond personal accountability? Do, does, do pastors get involved? Do elders of the church? Like there's all, there's so many layers. Yeah. I was going to say not to pull the, the, this card out per se, but I think that there are scenarios within those kinds of stories that can look somewhat different. I think if you have someone that's in, in, habitual sin repetitive sin um i would argue that if there is a a very an obvious heart of lack of care about their sin or about the consequences of their sin whether it's the really practical stuff that plays out because of that or whether it's the eternal consequences then i would say that it's pretty obvious that even though they may profess christ if they genuinely and consistently show more care for their sin than they do about their relationship with christ and there's no no tension of in their heart of even what to do with these things. And I would argue, yeah, the the answer is relatively obvious that something has to be done there. Yeah. Then, uh, but to have someone in habitual sin who is wrestling with these things and struggling with them, I mean, then anybody in the church who's addicted to anything that they would turn to instead of Christ should not be a part of the church. Yeah. So and that, that makes a really, really big distinction then because what human doesn't have some yep. sort of addiction, right? Yep. And so you made yeah. a good, uh, like diff, like a, uh, yeah, distinction. Diff- distinction. Yeah. That's the word. I'm like a differentiation. <laughs> but someone, let's say, let's use the example, because uh, we're all guys. Um, so the porn issue. I think there's a difference between someone who says, "I'm a Christian and I look at porn and I don't care and I love it," and I'm gonna keep coming to church. That's different from someone who goes, "Please help me. I don't know how to like defeat this," and they they fall into it, and then they're. They have sobriety for a month and then they fall into it. I think there's a difference. And I think you respond differently to a guy who's like, yeah, I don't, what's the big deal? Who cares? I think that is like a, we got to talk, buddy. Yeah. Cause like that attitude, it's not, it's, it's going against what you say you believe. Yeah. And the, the second part to that, and, and cause I think that is a reality for some folks today. I know for a fact that, someone presented almost that same scenario and in our church structure they were encouraged to uh, reach out to the elder board and, and then you know there would be a, a gentle confrontation sure uh, to that individual but i would want to ensure that the second part to that is like you know if you do feel that conviction if you do reach the end of that uh, road where you where you want to return like there is a way back you know what i mean never mm. to be like yeah okay and that's what you mentioned about Paul going on with that story being like, Hey guys, yeah. um, it doesn't mean they, they return pure. It means they return repentant. Yes. Yeah. And on the repentance, I, I've been walking with a friend for, for a number of, of uh, for a long time. And it is very much that like whenever there's been like a blip on the radar, it's been like, Oh my goodness. Like what a fool. Like just that, that low, feeling and we've been talking a lot about conviction and shame and the difference in that and how mm-hmm. you know that holy spirit conviction is causing you to feel this this sense of shame but important not to sit in it yeah in, in a dark way but 
from the outside looking in, someone would view that as almost unrepentant. And so there's a trust that has to happen in an accountability relationship too, where if you see someone walking along alongside another person and you see that person stumbling, it shouldn't be that, you know, that assumption that, oh, they're just in that repetitive, habitual, unrepentant sin necessarily. So I think grace has to be given in all aspects of that relationship, mm-hmm. whether you are the one in that accountability relationship or maybe you're viewing that uh, relationship and hoping for change and maybe it's not coming as fast as, as one would, would hope. Um, yeah. I'd love to share a couple of personal stories because I feel like on a concept like this, not that personal stories will, even in this room with the different experiences we have, it's not that our stories can make it so everyone can understand what we're saying, but I feel like they're a good way to like relate to what's happening in someone's life. So uh, I know for me, when I first, uh, for people who don't know, I grew up in the church, uh, started struggling with sexual addiction really, really young. Uh, I ended up walking away from the church and walking away from Christ for, I don't remember, I think it was like a couple of years or something like that. And just wholeheartedly pursuing the desires of the flesh. Hmm. Um, graciously and miraculously, God <clears throat> called me back. That's maybe a story for another time, how that all played out. But I started attending uh, the young adults group here, started making friends here. I was enthralled. I'm an extrovert. So having other friends who wanted to follow Jesus. It was, it was great. I Hmm. loved it. And I remember I was driving around with one of my new friends and he just started sharing from his heart, some of the struggles that he had had with sexual addiction. Uh, and as a guy who struggled with it, it's not like I completely forgot about my struggles. It was like, huh? Oh, this guy's being really real. And I don't remember how long he talked for her. And then he turned and looked at me and he was like, How's that area of your life going? Hmm. That was all he said to me. There was no like, you struggle with this. I know because you're a guy and I know your past and blah, blah, blah. He was just like, how is that area of your life for you? I tell you the conviction that I felt in that moment was so there was, and there was no shame because he had already told me about himself. He had already shown who he was to me and, and who he struck his sinful nature that he had struggled with. And so the that was one of the key moments in my in my story that God has used to hmm. to bring about change in my life. Um, there was another time I so I, through the course of time I started tackling uh, that issue. Started attending the Conquer course that the church was putting on at the time, yeah. and I remember I started to gain some traction and started to gain some victory, and I end up relapsing. Hmm. Um, and Dawn, uh, I was really excited because I'd made it really far compared to what I normally had. Uh, without a relapse. And I remember I told him about it and he was so graciously firm in that moment to actually show disappointment that I had fallen. Uh-huh. But I remember that in that moment when he was like, Oh, like what, what were you doing, man? Like, what were you thinking? Yeah. As soon as that moment was passed of like the, the reality and the reaction to sin, there was a gracious, okay. Like, Come on, we we're gonna keep going. We yeah. gotta keep going now. Yep. And and some of those moments, I think that there's two two parts to this when it comes to accountability. I think often we think accountability is just pointing the finger and saying there's sin, but there also has to. It's a two way street, and that the person that you are calling out sin has to be willing to respond to that call to that conviction, mm-hmm. um, and even willing to bring forward their own sin, keeping an accountability partner is someone that you can go to, to say, Hey, I have fallen short in this way. I have sinned. Mm -hmm. I've missed the mark. 
and someone who won't just cast you out then because of that is someone who will welcome you back in and and recognize that you're repentant and turning from your sin and turning to Christ. Um, and so when you're dealing with really, really complex issues, it feels like a simple solution to just find one thing that you can put your finger on and say, well, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And what happens when you get to that scenario and suddenly you could feel convicted that that's not the right way to approach this, right? Like it, I, I think it's much more complex than just a step A, step B, step C kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes we take the Matthew 18, like church discipline, confront your brother and we apply it to uh, absolutely every scenario. It's interesting. When you read Matthew 18, it says, if your brother sins against you, but I think sometimes we read it as, if, if you if you know about any sin and any brother, go confront them. But it actually doesn't it doesn't say that. Now, I'm not trying to like downplay it, but the 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 scenario seems to be, okay, Cameron has actually sinned, but he sinned against me. Yeah. So he slandered me or whatever. So then it says, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So the scenario is not like I have my binoculars. And I saw so and so sin, so now I'm going to go confront them. It seems like it's much more personal than than that. It's yeah. like, okay, you actually sinned against me. You lied about me, so now I got to go and confront you. But I love that it's like just do it between the two of you, between you and him alone. Yeah. Uh, and then it says, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, then uh, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So there's that scenario of like, you know, Corlin responds by saying, well, I don't care. I'm not. So then I would take Cameron with me and go like, we got to, this just is wrong. We have to go. And and then it says, if he uh, refuses to listen to the the group of people, well, then, then you take it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him to be as to you as like an unbeliever. So I think we've taken that to be like every single scenario whether it's sinned against me or not, I just know about a sin, so I'm going to go confront that person. But it seems yeah. to be there's this like relationship where it hurts deeper because it's you as my brother, you've sinned against me, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I think this could be, you know, we've had it uh, where it's husbands and wives and the wife goes to the husband or vice versa about their sin and they won't listen. So then they bring other people. And then finally, I've been in church long enough that that's, I've been on step three where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, finally they, they won't. So I'll give you a, a story cause stories help. So uh, this is years ago. There was a guy that um, was ch- uh, cheating on his wife and uh, with his secretary and then wanted to um, divorce his wife. And so uh, people went to him and said who were connected, like relationship wise. Yeah what you're doing is wrong. And it, and he kind of made excuses and no, you know, God told me that it's okay for me to divorce my wife. And well, I'm pretty sure God's not going to tell you that. And then I, I actually met with him and he shared his story and his reasoning why God said that it was okay that he divorced his wife. And I just kind of said, well, you're wrong because it's sinful and uh, you need to stop and just, nope, I'm not going to. So then the, the church got involved and, because there was just this like, no, God told me this is fine. We had to say, well, uh, you, you, you can't come here anymore. And, you know, the final, usually it never gets to the final stage. Usually by God's grace, people wake up. But it was just kind of like, well, 
we can't force you not to attend, mm-hmm. but just so you know, like, uh, you can't be a member here, and we would probably not let you take communion because we think that you're actually acting like an unbeliever. So, and then yeah. he's gone, and I've, I haven't seen him since. Mm-hmm. So, that was one of those cases where you kind of followed the process, but it was one of those, like, a very hard-hearted person. Lots of times when... When two or three people get involved, that's when someone goes, oh, my goodness, what am I doing? You're right. I yeah. need to help me, please, yeah. by God's grace. So, But I think Jesus isn't saying for every single sin that you ever see, mm-hmm. confront them. I think yeah. he's, he's saying, like, as you walk as brothers and sisters, you're going to sin against each other. And so go to them and walk with them and maybe lovingly and gently confront them. Hey, you, you sinned against me. Uh, yeah. Didn't that happen to you? Someone came to you and said, hey, when you said that, it really offended me or yeah. whatever. And then you just had to go, oh, sorry about yeah. that. And like, in that moment, it was like, wow, I didn't realize I had done that. I'm sorry. And it's amazing how much you can extinguish by actually taking responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even if you don't quite fully remember or think you did something wrong, not to be disingenuine, but it, it's literally like, there's a responsibility if we leave a perception with someone mm-hmm. that was not what was intended, we still need to own that yeah. because the old adage, which gets people in trouble is like, I'm not responsible for your feelings. It's like, well, if they had that feeling after an interaction with you, you do bear some of that. <laughs> and it took me a long time <laughs> to get to that point. But, um, saying sorry and just being accountable yourself in that moment, it just tears down so many barriers. Funny enough, when you're referencing Matthew, 18 uh in the hr world almost every place i've worked where i've had that function and even right now with local government on a respectful workplace policy it follows the exact same biblical model are you serious oh yeah so that's great you know employment law uh throughout the province so go to them first did you did they respect did they hear you no okay well you're gonna loop in your supervisor now (laughs) and then if there's still like if there's still that again after you've laid that foundation of saying no i don't appreciate that then you're gonna escalate right so it's Man, Jesus knew what he was talking about. Because <laughs> it's, it's just a common sense model. Right? It is. Like, oh, they did something bad to me. Well, did they, did you tell them it yeah. was bad? Did you talk to them? Did they know? Or was it obvious? Like, yeah. you know, there's, of, of course, you know, that's the difference. And it's funny, in the church world, I I have had people come to me. That person, and I say the same thing. Did did you tell them that? Well, you're, you're the pastor. Doesn't matter. Sure. Did you go to them yeah. first? Do they know that you're even upset about this? Because yeah. <laughs> the conversation I had with this individual was one-on-one. It was a, a Sunday morning. I think that it would be fair to say if I if I approach that conversation of like, like that's a that sounds like a you problem, then it would be fair for them to maybe go to the life group. Yes. Uh, yep. And which is how we've seen it here at North Peace is often it's a life group saying, okay, there's an issue yes. <laughs> in the house, uh, you know, in our group. And we've talked about it, we've tried, and then maybe a couple will come to um, the elders board at that point. But that model works really well. And I think that would be, it is the best baseline to use. Mm-hmm. Another just quick thought I had, um, accountability relationships are not necessarily always going to be what you think they are either because... I have a a long time person that I speak with almost daily. Um, Mm. He struggled greatly recently, uh, 60 days in rehab, you know, uh, Mm. from a really great career away from wife and family. Um, We have a bit of a back and forth and we've had for almost 16 years of Mm. knowing when each other are struggling and talking about that. So I think that if, for example, there was something that one of you said, hey, 
Cam, I noticed that. And if I said, hey, listen, I'm talking to someone about that. Thank you. We may not enter a relationship sure. where we talk about that because yeah. I'm probably not going to do that with four people. Yep. So then you got to be pretty cool with, obviously, if you see it repeatedly, like, yeah, sure. How's that going? But it's not the same level of relationship I may have with the person I revealed sin to and that I, you know, that. So I think that we have to, like, be mindful of the fact that someone may not be comfortable with you. Sure. Uh, and, yeah. And if they're saying, like, hey, listen, I'm talking about it with so-and-so, you have to surrender that. And, yep. and really, it's not your burden to bear at that point. Yep. Yeah. And that takes a little bit of uh, self-awareness. Yeah, I think it's good to any time that you are, like, uh, I need to approach this person about sin. Uh, before you do, it's a really good idea to do a gut check on yourself to go like, what is my motivation behind this? Is it so that I can like destroy them and bring the hammer down in the name of truth? and, <laughs> Or is it because I, I actually like care about them? Um, and that plays into what you said. Like if I went to Corlin and said, hey, so it's such and such sin and Corlin went, yeah, I'm meeting with someone about that for me to go. Okay, great. Cause my, my desire in approaching you was solely that you would get help mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be me. Yeah. But I think a lot of times Christians, we have this idea of like, it is my job to be the Holy spirit police. And I'm like, right away, your motivation is wrong. And it might seem really righteous and really holy that I am on the prowl to to point out sin, but but I think your motivation is wrong. If it's any anything other than I want to walk with this person to see them have victory in this mm-hmm. area. If it's just because now I can like wipe my hands, I pointed it out, boom, sin destroyed. It's like that's how kids tattle on each other. And wait till yours are old enough and talking. Oh, it's so man, brutal, oh, man. It's like it is. Okay, what she did was wrong, but what you're doing is pretty lame, man. Yeah. Like yeah. literally this week, yeah. what did what did Lucy do? She did something, and then Ruby came to the stairs and was just like, uh, "She didn't do that," and I had to do that exact thing. Okay, Lucy, do what I asked you to do, and she went and did it. And I'm like, Ruby, it's not your job to yeah. tattle yeah. on people. Yeah. But you're right. Like if we do that, if that's my goal, I'm just gonna like tattle on you, and then I think your motivation is totally wrong. Totally wrong. In the same way that with children, and we've said it before on the uh, podcast, where you'll chastise one and it's legit, and the other one is just so well behaved for like eight minutes after that, mm-hmm. where they almost strut with their shoulders back. Look how great I am. I I think I've seen that also in the church. It's like, wow, look at that situation. But it almost takes the focus off of us and what we deal with when we can point to brother beside us and mm-hmm. say, wow, look at someone. Better pay attention to this situation. It's almost like yeah. that shield of. Well, now I, I fear that maybe sometimes the motivation is I'm called to be, yeah, this bearer of morale, this morality police. No one would define it as that, but I feel like I'm honoring God by pointing out sin, but where's the motivation for restoration and where's the willingness to then walk back? As I share with someone recently, I'm like, yeah, accountability relationships are great, but it could be coffee every five days for two years. Like, Mm -hmm. are you, are you ready to do that? Ready to do that? Yeah. And I have an accountability relationship right now with someone that sometimes it's that, sometimes it's that coffee and it's been a long time. And other times we're just hanging out, families are together and we're just friends and we don't, not every conversation is focused on this issue because that's not healthy either. So, yeah, I think one final image that's coming to mind and I think it kind of encapsulates what we're all talking about is uh, if we think back to our childhoods, um, 
the times when I felt the most safe and the most relational and the most willing to be around my father is when he was gentle, right? That was, that was when it was the most likely to build a relationship where we could actually grow in, in intimacy with each other and, mm-hmm. and would produce lasting relationship where, where we didn't want to sin against each other and where we didn't want to, or, or wouldn't, would be more conscious of what we were doing with each other. But I think anyone would relate that if, if, and, and hopefully this isn't the case, but if your father was abusive towards you or, or ruled with an iron fist, it's a lot harder to actually even care about what that person is saying to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even God approaches us like that. If you look, even in your s- sermon this Sunday, you talked about how powerful and how mighty God is. Um, we know that he is mighty and powerful and just and completely holy. And yet you look at how he's approached us through the love and blood of Christ mm-hmm. through one of the most selfish, selfless, and, and gentle acts that someone could ever do by dying for your sins. Mm-hmm. That's the act that brings about repentance, mm-hmm. not his justice at the end. Yeah. His justice at the end is final, but it does. It's not to bring about repentance. Christ on the cross is meant to do that for yeah. people. The Holy spirit's work in our lives is meant to do that. And so I think as Christians, when we model that it is a firm gentleness, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that when I, you know, when I was a kid and my father would hold me, it's not that I was like, man, this man is weak because he's not hitting me. <laughs> it's yeah, because sure. he, was, he was strong. You could tell that you yeah. were safe and protected. And so I think yeah. as Christians were to model Christ's love in that, mm-hmm. that yes, when someone is stuck in sin, we, we do call it for what it is. It's not that Jesus was like, oh yeah, I don't really know what sin is guys. Yeah. Like I'm going to die for it, but I don't know what it is. He was a lot, he knew what he was doing, right? And so I think as Christians, we can do that too, yeah. but with a confident gentleness that Christ is the one working in the background and we are merely people meant to walk with each other, pointing each other to Christ constantly. Mm-hmm. It's good. Good final word. And that was a great Jesus impression. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> that, that was my Jesus impression if he didn't know what sin Oh, okay. Was. Yes, that's good. So anyways... Hopefully that's been helpful or at least kind of made you think about a few different aspects of things. Um, as always, if you have sin in your life, you <laughs> stop it. Uh, I was going to say, if you have other questions or topics you want us to talk about, what a way to end a topic of accountability. And as always, if you have sin in your life, knock it off. Um, we're going to hold you accountable. But for real, uh, you can email me or message us or text any of us, and we would love to talk about uh, things that matter to you or topics you are curious about. So like and subscribe, share the podcast, and we will talk to you next week.